We all want, no matter what your gender identity, people want to accomplish things. They want to do things that they're proud of. They want to use their intellectual capacities, whatever those are. They want to spend time with their kids if they have them. They want to hold the hand of their parent when they're dying. Like we all want the same thing. It doesn't matter so much. And we put these boxes on these experiences and say, well, that's, it's literally like going down the aisle of a toy store. That's a girl experience and that's a boy experience. That's a girl job and that's a boy job. The more that we can just break that apart and radically rethink. Hi everyone, welcome to Community Good, the podcast that shares powerful lessons to help you navigate the life you want. I'm your host, Marnie Andes. In this episode, you'll hear from Tammy Foreman, who focuses on giving people who've taken time from their careers to care for their loved ones the opportunity to re-enter the workforce. She shares more about bias with work-life conflict for both women and men, how we need to rethink what it means to work, and how we, who shockingly still must navigate decades-old norms, need to be open to radical ideas to make real change in our workplace and our lives. And now, my conversation with Tammy Foreman. Tammy, thank you so much for joining me on my podcast. It's it's always fun to connect with colleagues that I haven't seen or talked to in a few years, and I'm just excited to get into our conversation today. Awesome. I'm so glad to be here. Thanks for inviting me, Marnie. Thanks, Tammy. I, You know, there's a number of resources that obviously I'm sharing with the listeners of the work that you're doing, and we're going to get into a number of things, I'm sure, during our conversation, but I actually wanted to start with a speaking event that you had with Disrupt HR, and you talked about the bias with work-life conflict. And what I loved about it was that you not only talk about the misperceptions of work-life conflict for women, you also talk about those biases for men. And I, I just personally believe, and I know you do too, based on this, on this talk, which is if we could dig into these biases, we could see how much better not only female and male workers could be in companies, but as a greater piece of this, we could really see how much better organizations could be if they could really dig into these biases. So I'd just love to start there. Yeah, thanks, Marnie. And it's interesting to think about that talk because I gave that back in, I think it was 2016. Um, so long before COVID, long before people were talking about, you know, work, for, I mean, people were talking about work-life balance, obviously, and had been for ad nauseum for years and years, but like before a lot of the things that we think of currently as like part of the future of work conversation. And at, at the time, what I was finding so interesting as a, as a working mom was just how, uh, how stuck in the past our conversations seemed to be um, and that we had not really caught up um, to a way of thinking about either work or home and care in a more modern way than we had been. It was kind of like we had this factory model, if you will, of work, like the number of hours you put in is the amount you produce and like this very sort of old fashioned notion about work and what work was meant to be, that it was meant to be done in offices, that it was meant to be done during certain hours and like, and then, and then this notion of home and care that was kind of based on this weird 1950s white lady who, you know, only sort of kind of existed in the first place, right? So, and we hadn't come forward in any real way. And we hadn't come forward in terms of thinking about how we could think about how people contribute to work in different ways. 
um, and what that could look like and how we could measure that and optimize for a knowledge economy, um, but also that we hadn't thought about how men might not, it, so much of the work-life conversation around men and women still today is kind of focused on this idea of like, women do everything and men don't want to do anything. And this is like this, like sort of locked in this conflict, conflictual space. And I thought it was interesting to talk about the idea that maybe men wanted more <laughs> than they were being offered in terms of um, participation in their family and care. So I felt like there was just a much more interesting conversation. And then I had to do that in five minutes with a lightning, in a lightning style where the, where the slides are auto advancing. So I did all that in five minutes. <laughs> it was impressive. Actually, I figured that out after I had watched it. I was like, oh my gosh, she had to actually do this in a very short amount of time, but I loved every part of it. And the piece that you just shared about the fact that what what we haven't been tapping into is, or hadn't at the time was the fact that men were wanting this as well. And, you know, I, I share from my own personal experience, my husband, when you and I were working together, um, I had, I would go into the office. I think it was three days a week because of where I was, um, commuting from. And of course you were in New York, but we would still see each other once in a while in the Denver or the Broomfield based offices. But my husband stayed at home. I mean, his job and opportunity and what he did allowed him to stay at home and he loved it. So when we had our son together, it was like this whole new world to him opened up. And he was like, why would I want to give this up to go mm -hmm. sit in an office? Like, there's almost like this trade-off of like, what do I really want out of life type thing? And I feel like that was already starting for him in 2013 and we're here today and it still comes up from time to time where he's like, I'm kind of in this battle with myself. I am too. I mean, this is why it's a women and a men thing too. It's not right. just a women thing. It's not just a men thing, but I really did love that part of it. Cause I think it's so telling. I, I know that that's what's led you into a lot of work too, is your own personal experience. Yeah. And I just, I, I just felt like there's, I, I still feel like there are just more interesting conversations to be had than the ones that we've been having for decades around um, around these issues. And, and frankly, ways to tap into and unleash a much broader um, pool of talent, right? We tend to just kind of compartmentalize ourselves and others in ways that make it difficult for, you know, us to see the possibilities of people's contributions and value in the workplace and, and contributions of value at home. Right. Right. Well, in that same talk, which again, pretty miraculous, you were able to do all this in five minutes. You also talk about this concept, which I think goes back to you sharing around us coming from a factory industrial type work atmosphere where we have still this notion of hours in seat and why that matters. And it's interesting when you said that you went back and that was from 2016, I, I still see that as a debate for people, especially having spent time in HR, where there's almost this battle of trying to talk managers through whether or not it matters that people are in an office versus working from home and how do you measure whether or not they're being productive? Yes, absolutely. And look, here's what I will say. I actually have a lot of, as, as someone who does manage people and supervises people, like I have a ton of sympathy for managers here. I think that I don't think what I'm suggesting is easy or simple um, at all. <laughs> in 
fact, I think it's hard, which is why we're not doing it. <laughs> um, I think that it is very easy. Time is is a concept that most of us think of as as finite and objective, right? Like we can see it, we can feel it, we can you know, we we know what an hour looks like, right? Generally speaking, right? We know we know what that means. We can we can you know. We got our little watch. We can look at it. We can see it. We can we feel like it's it's a real thing in the world, um, in a way that even the best constructed goals and outcomes and metrics is 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 harder, squishier concepts. Um, I actually remember back when I worked in communications, um, someone asked a, a manager asked me, you know, how long does it take you to write a blog post? And I'm like on a good day, 20 minutes, on a bad day, eight hours, like how many angels can dance on the head of a pen? Like it's, it's, I, I don't even know how to answer those questions sometimes. So what I'm suggesting is much harder, but it's also much more important because may, measuring productivity by measuring hours isn't effective, right? What we're doing now is not effective. And so the sooner we can realize that it's not effective, the sooner we can start to have a conversation about what would be more effective. And as I said, it's not easy. I'm not suggesting there's a simple metric or measure or tool or software or blah, 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 that's going to get you there. But it starts by recognizing that what we're doing today, I have to say one of the things that horrified me during the pandemic, aside from everything that was horrifying about the pandemic, was all of these companies that were doing this weird, like, virtual surveillance. Um, there was a story in the Times that was particularly horrifying about a hospice organization, like of all things, like a hospice organization that was like measuring productivity through like this weird thing that didn't really count the things that <laughs> hospice workers are actually meant to be doing, right? Which is providing care to actual human beings and measured things like typing and like weird stuff like that. And it felt like it was just going in the exact wrong direction from what I'm talking about. Like it was taking us back to a place of like, let's turn it into a widget, right? Let's turn these things that are not things, not, not producible, right? Deliverables, like let's turn these things into widgets that we can measure and count um, instead of thinking about like, wait, what is it that we're here to do? And how do we measure or not whether or not someone's doing that? Right. Well, you mentioned I know, that something. felt a little bit squishy, Marty, but it oh, is squishy. But it is. I think you see where I'm going. Oh, for sure. It's it's totally yeah. squishy. And I think what's interesting is you were talking about this prior to what you just talked about, which is the pandemic hitting. And then it it forced the hand of people to actually start talking about are we or are we not going to embrace this kind of work? scenario where people are working from home and do we trust right. people working from home? And, and I think so much of, I mean, there's so much work that you've done around that. There's also this work that again, started before the pandemic, which was, which was part of just the balancing of it all. So I've had conversations with other folks yeah. around this too. And before we transition into talking about, you know, how do you, how do you balance the, when you, really do need to care for others around you and you're trying to balance this full-time job. But I remember, um, you know, speaking with someone beforehand around all of this, which was the pandemic brought good things and bad things to us. The good thing was it did finally give people who could work from home the ability to do so. 
The bad thing was what you started to see was almost an overwhelming piece of that too, because then suddenly kids were being sent home and who was doing primarily the care for the kids at home, which were women. Um, And so there's sort of like this, I don't know, it's like a a catch-all. It's like, well, I want to work from home, but does that actually afford me what I need to be able to be successful? Mm. And I just wonder, you know, as we do that, like how, how have you transitioned personally or how have you guided people through this? I mean, obviously you're having many conversations around all of this, but what does that, what does that look like where, you know, women can work from home now, but they also still in some cases are, are having to take on the 1950s version plus work a full-time job. Which has always been true, right? So, you know, the whole concept of flexible work um, for decades now has been predicated on the idea that it's generally women who need it. And because they're because they're meant to be doing more of the things at home that that need to be done. So there's like this there's there's that push and pull. I one of the things that I was saying um, fairly early on in the pandemic when I was talking to reporters a lot was like I was I I. I felt like the the work from home revolution that clearly felt like it was just here to stay. I mean, I, I know you see the things about like so-and-so is making everybody come back to the office, like with mixed success, honestly. Turns out you can't just fire half your workforce and still <laughs> still like, you know, run a business. So go figure, right? So so the work from I felt like the, the work from home revolution, it, it is here to stay um, for many people. Um, and and what it did more than anything was open up more possibilities for people to jump to remote friendly opportunities, which is really what um, what I think has made it has made that shift pretty permanent um, for the most part because companies know that if they don't offer that, they're going to have a hard time attracting and retaining talent. Um, and I felt like it was going to be good for women at the micro level and potentially bad for women at the macro level. And what I mean by that is. Anything that keeps an individual woman in the workforce versus leaving the workforce altogether is good for that individual woman um, and her family and all kinds of things, right? The, like the financial repercussions um, of leaving the workforce altogether are pretty profound. And so like staying in, even at a lower level, even in a diminished capacity is actually from, which is, which is something I think we don't talk about enough, that that actually is better than leaving altogether, generally speaking, for most women financially. Um, and um, so at the micro level, I think it's going to be good and it's going to keep women in the workforce who otherwise might have left. But at the macro level, it could end up holding women back and making it harder to get into leadership positions. Now, I think probably on balance, it's just not going to change the leadership trajectory. And what I mean by that is like people who are going to pull back, like, I don't, I think, I think it just is to the good for the micro, but it doesn't change the macro situation, which is women do get held back partly by attitudes within the workforce, partly by attitudes at home, partly by too much to do, not enough support. Right. And then there's the whole public policy piece, which is just a big part of, of where there, the lack of support shows up and is, you know, makes it, some people can't get health, sorry, healthcare. Well, that too. Some people can't get childcare at any price, right? At at almost any price. Um, So the idea that, um, so I I think the work from home revolution is going to help a lot of people and it's going to be to the good, but I think we have to be mindful that it, it, 
it's not going to solve the leadership gap. Right. And I want to go into that space because I know we're going to be talking about Path Forward and the work that you do there. But I want, I'd love to hear more. I know you've written articles around it. I've read some of these things around just the child care crisis and to talk more about that before we go into the, the Path Forward work. Yeah, so <laughs> this is one of those things where I was kind of losing my mind a little bit during the pandemic because I was like, no, 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 these were problems before. Like we, we kept talking about all of these things suddenly being a crisis. And I'm like, no, 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 this has been a problem for a long time. And so so for a long, long time now, there have been childcare deserts all over America, right? Meaning places where there is little to no childcare available, again, almost at any price or at a price that is so high that that a family, a working class family can't afford it. The pain points happen in a couple of places. Zero to two can be really difficult, right? Because that's the most expensive care to provide privately. Um, So um, there are many daycare centers that won't even take a child under two. Um, Private nannies are a solution for some, but not clearly for everybody, right? So zero to two is a real big pain point. Two to five is for some families kind of the golden time because that's when daycare is available in a lot of places, um, more readily available, more municipalities are starting to offer pre-K um, and even 3K. So starting, you know, so they, then the years between two and five can be for many families a little bit of a golden time, a very expensive golden time, but in terms of, of care available and on offer and covering the whole workday, <laughs> Right. But then five to 12 is this whole nother thing that people don't talk about what a big challenge five to 12 is for most families. So you have the time from anywhere between two in the afternoon to whatever, you know, when the school day ends for most kids in in elementary and and even middle school. Right. You have the summer. which is the luxurious for most school districts, two and three months of time that kids are off, right? The holidays, the school breaks, right? All of this stuff. And um, and it's, and then even frankly, 12 to 18 gets tricky for some families because, you know, having teens at home, there's all kinds of issues with that. But but all, all of these different points along the spectrum, um, and there are very, very few public policy solutions, and even, frankly, private solutions for all of those things. And the collective attitude just seems to be like, well, we'll figure it out. Like each, It's on each family to figure out how to manage those things in a way that is really mind-boggling when you think about how important the future of our country is <laughs> and then the fact that children are the future. Um, and and also how much it holds back economic participation by lots of people, but particularly by women. Well, and you're so there's oh my gosh, there's so much there's so much there. <laughs> I and yeah. I I, I love it is what you said is almost like what you know I've personally felt too that age gap of like the five to twelve where you're like. Now, my husband and I are both very fortunate that we either work from home or we have the ability to sort of flex on each of our schedules. So we don't. So, yes, I'm one of those people that can figure out how to work through it. But for I do. I think about the the two adult households that 
do need to be outside of the house. They're working eight to five jobs, sometimes more than that. And how do they do it? It's well, it's what leads us into talking a little bit about what path forward stands for. It's interesting because you, I'm so happy and and so impressed by the work that you do and what you continue to speak about because what you're what you are an executive director of is one part of it, right? It's helping people that finally said, yes. "Okay, I can't I can't figure out the childcare situation, so now I'm staying home." And now I'm going to yep. not pursue the career. And then what happens when my children grow up or what happens when an elderly parent that I might be caring for um, either does have a way to get cared for by somebody else or maybe eventually passes away. Now, what do I do? And so I'd love for you to talk yeah. about that. But I still think there's this whole big picture that you're painting for us, which is but that's only one part of helping solve for all of this. So if you wouldn't mind just talking a little bit about how you started Path Forward and just even getting into some of that work. Yeah. So Path Forward is a nonprofit organization and we work with employers to create what I, the way I think about it is we're, we're working with employers to create pathways for people of any gender <laughs> um, to return to the workforce after taking time for caregiving. And Marnie, you just hit on all the, the there are so many reasons why people leave the workforce to focus on their family. Um, Childcare is the, the biggest one um, for all the reasons that we just talked about. Um, elder care is another big one. Uh, we work with people who were trailing spouses. If you have a spouse who has moved around the world every couple of years, you have not established a career. Maybe you've worked sporadically here and there, but you have not established a career. Military spouses fall into that category very much so, right? Either you're home, but you're taking care of everything and everyone because your spouse is deployed or you're getting deployed with them and moving all over um, hither and yon um, with little support, by the way, from um, our government that cares so much about um, their uh, heroes. But anyway, um, so all of these reasons, right? Um, and then, so so they leave for all these good reasons, but then they are they are met with a work, uh, an employer community that's kind of like, well, yeah, but you haven't worked in a while, right? What does that say about you in terms of your ambition and your drive, right? Which very much goes back to the Disrupt HR talk, right? Which is part of like, you know, making these assumptions about people's, I got way more ambitious after I had kids, <laughs> way more ambitious after I had kids. Cause I suddenly, first of all, they're expensive. And second of all, I want the world to be better for these two people that I created. So I had far more ambition and drive after I had kids, but we have all kinds of conceptions and we especially have conceptions about people who leave the workforce. Um, and, and what that says about them as a worker, right? We might think it's lovely, a lovely personal thing for them to do, but we, we, we think it says something about their drive. Um, so we work with employers to create pathways. And what we're doing with the employer is we're helping them to set up this program and, and set up the, the internal logistics for it. But we're also training the managers and we're training the recruiters and we're talking to them about the skills and experience that caregivers bring, both from their prior career um, because as one of the returners at our former company, Return Path, said once, I had children, I didn't have a lobotomy, right? I didn't forget everything I knew how to do for the many, many years that I worked before I left, right? So talking to them about all those skills and experiences, but also all the skills and experiences that people get as caregivers, right? There is no more, you know, figure it out on your own 
you know, job training program than having a baby, right? <laughs> having a baby is the ultimate startup experience. <laughs> you just like, they send you home with this thing. There's no manual. You're on your own, right? Um, elder care, I've talked to so many people now. I thankfully knock on touch all the wood. Um, have not been in that situation, but I've talked to enough people now to realize like, oh, you don't know what you didn't know. You don't even begin to know what you don't know until you're there doing it and filling out paperwork and dealing with bureaucracy and trying to understand things that you've never come across before. Like you, uh, special need parents, like there's just all these experiences that people have that actually are, are not just good for our world to have people be cared for, again, future taxpayers and citizens, but also actually build skills and experiences and competencies that make them better in the workforce, that make them more patient, more mature, better able to make decisions on and on and on and on, right? So we work with the employers to help their managers and their recruiters understand all those things um, and then create these opportunities and bring returners into their company. Well, it's incredible work. And what you said, I think, is such an incredible thing to highlight, which is that the experience that one gets by providing care for someone else is such a positive thing that can be brought into the workplace to not yes. discredit that as, Oh, you took this time off. They weren't taking time off. They were doing something else during that time. And that is valuable experience they can bring into the workplace. Yes. And I love the work of helping employers and managers see the value in all of that. I, I wonder as you're doing this work, you know, what is, what is something that's maybe been the most surprising to you personally, as you've gone down this path? No, no pun intended. I early on realized that the things that I had learned about being a working mother were helpful to a point when it came to working with a caregiver who was transitioning back to the workforce, because there were so many things that that transition from being the on-call parent or the on-call caregiver of a, of a sick relative or, or something, well, right, all those things of being the on-call full-time caregiver to then being back in the workforce, that that transition was its own, had its own set of challenges that I, that I had not personally experienced. And so the things that I thought I, I was like, oh, I, you know, I've been a working mom for a while. I've got this all figured out and realizing very quickly that the things that I had become adept at um, were things that, that those who were transitioning back to the workforce would become adept at again, but that I had kind of missed a step um, in the early curriculum with like, oh, you're going through a thing here that has all kinds of implications um, around your family situation, your work situation, and how you're negotiating those things and your own feelings about that, that, that I need to pay attention to. So I, I was surprised at like that I hadn't figured that out more quickly um, or that I didn't recognize that like, oh, what I've been doing for the past, at that point, you know, eight or nine years as a working mom is different from what they're doing, um, which is going from being a full-time caregiver to being a worker again. Um, and negotiating that. I remember one early workshop where someone said uh, one of her challenges was just learning to sit in a chair for eight hours again. So she hadn't done that in, in years. And she was used to running around and doing things and being on the move. And that, that, that like sitting still for eight hours was like a new 
she had to relearn the skill going back to like hours in the seat <laughs> as a skill like she had to relearn that and that that was like a transition that she had to make and i was like oh i'm like missing a whole piece of <laughs> of this work right so well, you i had to listen some, to them go figure well, you said something earlier too and i want to go back to that which um which relates to this as well is you know that that you were more motivated after you had kids. And I love the reason why you were motivated. I mean, here are these two people that you've created. You want a better world for them. You want the best for them. Like you're motivated to do the right things for them to be able to care for them. And I think about that too, because I start to put myself in this situation where there were moments in my life where I thought, you know what, I, what if I did take a break and actually care for my child? And what would that look like? And what kept what kept concerning me over and over again was what you just described that you train your employers and your managers around, which is how would I be viewed? I would, you know, would I be viewed as like, that's too much time. There was too much of a gap. Then she must not be current and there's no way that she'll be able to acclimate back into this environment. So I, I know how much work you do on the employer side of it. What's the message and how do you help people? One, re-enter who have already made this decision and decide they do want to work. But how about the people that are playing around with this notion of can I, or can I not really give up my career right now and still have something on the other side of it? Yeah. So we, I love the work we do with returners. We do uh, webinars. We're going to be expanding some of our services um, this year and into next year to try to create more um, opportunities for returners to get together from our team and from each other and you know the message that we always try to send as an organization and that I always try to send when I'm speaking to them is like I, I, I want them to feel seen and valued right I want them to see that I see what they did um, I see how important it is um, and that I have gathered together and my team has gathered together this consortium of employers who have been made to see it as well. Um, And in many ways, some of the training that I do with returners, and training is almost too strong a word for it, but some of the messaging to the returners is the flip side round of what I was just talking about with the recruiters and the managers, right? So I kind of help them to see like, hey, you did this thing, right? So I'm a special needs mom. So one of the things I always tell people is like, look, when you have a, a child with special needs, whether it's healthcare or academic or yes, and all the above, you have had, in your experience as, as that parent, you have had to um, ingest large amounts of information on a topic you know nothing about that is extraordinarily complicated. Um, you need to digest that information often very quickly. You need to interface with people who are far more expert than you are. Um, and you then need to make decisions with that information and with your limited experience prior, in some cases, life decisions, right? Like, like healthcare related decisions for your child. Like who does that in the work world, right? What, what is that, what is that set of skills called? And Marnie, I know you know this cause I know the work that you do, right? Like that is called executive skills, right? We pay CEOs lots and lots of money <laughs> allegedly, right? Because they can do that. 
because they can take in information and there's ambiguity in it and you got experts going, I don't know, maybe it'll work, maybe it won't, we'll see, right? And you've got to make a decision and that's what CEOs are doing all the time and we pay them lots of money for it. But like the special needs mom who just had to figure out whether or not her kid should have this surgery, it's like, well, yeah, but what have you really been doing the last couple of years? So I show them, but I give them the language to use, right? Like this is how you talk about that experience in a way that says like, hey, I, I now know nothing scares me now, right? Nothing scares me, nothing worries me, <laughs> right? I know that I can, that I can do this um, and that I can you know, figure things out that I didn't know how to do before. Um, so I try to give them the language to be able to talk about those experiences in ways that then coming back to those managers and recruiters can understand. Um, and then creating the space in those companies, right? Like the, the employers are, because they work with us, are opening up those opportunities in a way that, you know, we, we've had many people tell us and it always makes me so happy because I'm sure it doesn't happen every time. I'll just go ahead and say that. But I'm always so happy when returners say to me, like, that was the first interview I had where I didn't feel looked down on, where I felt like someone saw me, right? Even if I did, I hear that, by the way, from people who didn't necessarily get the returnship on the first go round, but they still felt like that interview experience was different. This time was different, right? I felt like the questions they asked me were different and yes. I felt seen and valued. This That is huge. I mean, I think huge. what you just touched on, I mean, the fact that for people who are listening, if you are somebody who's in this space, okay, everything we've talked about, you're making a decision to whether or not you stay at home and maybe return, or now you're like, you've stayed at home and now you're trying to return. Like that's great lesson. It's also this great lesson for managers who it's like, be open to the experience that people get in that caregiving experience. And then I even go to like, to use your words, more of a macro view, which is if we could all stop assuming that just what's on the resume or just the time and seat that they were doing. And we start saying like, what is this person doing outside the walls of this organization or the walls of the roles that they've been in? And how is that experience making them an incredible talent for this organization? That's a game changer. Totally. Well, one of the things I say to executives all the time, and by the way, even just one thing that every manager can do is just start looking at different types of professional experience differently. Right. And I tell executives all the time, like, if you can get your managers thinking different about the types of people that can be viable for the opportunities that you have available, that's going to open up a whole, whole new pools of talent for you. Right, like people coming from different industries, with la 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 la. Right, all of those things. Like your managers today are stuck in a mold of like the only person who can do this job is someone who's already doing this job. That's a small pool of people. And by the way, if you're going a step further and saying the only person who can do this job is someone who's doing this job at a company that looks like mine, okay, that pool just got even smaller. Right? <laughs> I love that, buddy. You're like you know exactly what I'm talking about. You can hear that, right? You can hear it in your head, right? <laughs> hey, who's doing this job at the company down the street? Like I, three people, dude, three people, and they're happy there. So like, get over it, right? But if you can instead think like, oh, someone who worked at that whole other thing over there, or did this whole other thing over there, all of a sudden the talent pool opens and it's wider and that's better for you, 
that's better for you as an executive, as a leader, as a manager, et cetera. This is such a big point because if everybody just takes a moment while they're listening right now and says to themselves, it doesn't matter even what size of organization you're in. It, it, you could be uh, an entrepreneur that's just starting something out. You could be someone who's even thinking about um, a nonprofit organization that they work for as well. You could, I mean, it doesn't really matter what environment you're in. If you even take this lesson away, which is open up to the possibilities of what people can bring to the table based on their life experience as much as their professional experience. It is huge. Well, one thing yes. before we transition, yes. Tammy, because I know um, I, wa- I want to ask you this question before we transition into you sharing a life lesson in general for everyone. But yeah. you talk about not only in some of your articles, but you've talked about this in your talks, which is us being open to radical ideas. And maybe we've shared some of those already, but I just wonder in yeah. in this new year, what are you thinking about? What radical idea or radical ideas do you find or will you find yourself continuing to talk about that we really need to consider around this whole conversation? What people want in their lives is is not dictated by gender. And I, one of the articles I wrote relatively recently was about Bernard Shaw, who died um, last year. And he was a famous CNN anchor. And when he retired, he retired like, I don't know, 20 years ago. One of the things he said was that he didn't know if it was worth it. His career was worth all the sacrifice to his family, which is something you don't often hear men say. And I wrote this whole column about like, we all want, I think, I think no matter what your gender identity, people want to accomplish things. They want to do things that they're proud of, right? They want to use their intellectual capacities, whatever those are. They want to spend time with their kids if they have them. They want to hold the hand of their parent when they're dying. Like, we all want the same things. Like, it doesn't matter so much. Um, And we've put these boxes on these experiences and said, well, that's, it's literally like going down the aisle of a toy store. That's a girl experience and that's a boy experience. That's a girl job and that's a boy job. And I think that the more that we can just break that apart and radically rethink, I had a similar experience to your Mar- yours, Marnie, with your husband. My when I when my daughter was born, you know, my husband had to go back to work within a couple of days of her coming home. And the first day that he went back to the office, he came running back in at the end of the day, and he said, "I can't believe how much I missed you." Right and. I was so struck by it, not just because it was such a sweet, wonderful, loving thing to say, but because like no one in his office asked him, did you, right? Like when I went back to work, everyone asked me, (laughs) don't you miss the baby? And of course, at that point, three months later, you're like, you know, yeah, kind of, but also like no one's been up on me today. So, right. But no one asked, no one ever asked the dad when they come back to work, did you miss them? Did you miss, do you miss the baby? Right. And we're just cutting people off from these experiences that we just all want to have as humans. And that to me, that, and the fact that in 2023, that's still a radical idea. (sighs) Right. (laughs) Mind blowing that that's, 
the radical idea. That's I radical. have to, yeah. I have to share this. This is, it is a little bit of a plug of why people need to, to, to read some of your articles, read our, all of your articles and look at your talks because speaking of the husband piece now, um, I have to mention this one other thing, which was you had said in an article that you wrote for Forbes, which by the way, your, your resume is incredible. My gosh, the work that you're doing, I can't wait for people just to, to get to know you, but you had said in this article which was all about examples of domestic inequality that exposes a premise that holds back many women's careers. That was actually the, the title of it. At the very, the la- very last sentence is what hooked me. You said, I meet women every day whose careers aren't what they would have been if they'd had a better husband. And I've <laughs> seen either, you know, like different quotes and different like statements all over the place that just said, like, really be mindful of who you choose. And I think this is also really, really important because whether you're in a heterosexual relationship and it's a husband and wife, if it's in a same sexual relationship, if it's a partner, if it, however you define that, it is incredibly important because I think this whole radical idea of us really getting away from like whose work is what work is also just like, are we also accepting the fact that it's super important of who we surround ourselves with so we can have these beautiful experiences together as well. I I love that article, by the way. Thank you. Yeah. I think that was at a particular low point in the pandemic that I wrote that. (laughs) (laughs) The news coming out was just bad every day, but yes. (laughs) Yeah, no, it was, it was a big point. I think it's incredibly important for people to hear too, which is like these, you know, all of this, if you really wrap it up all together, I mean, this takes all of us. It doesn't just take the job seeker. It doesn't just take the caregiver. It doesn't just take the organization being open-minded. It takes all of us doing all of this work together and being willing to help people really try to find that path forward, which I love, 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 love yeah, the organization. Absolutely. Yeah. So I'd love to turn to you now and to close out before we give you an opportunity to share where people can find you. And what is a life lesson that you have learned, regardless of when in your life, that has a great impact on you and that you'd like to share with the listeners now? So I I mentioned that I um, I'm a special needs mom. My kids have a neurological condition, which is so rare (laughs) uh, that the neurologist uh, that we went to in New York City, um, she had exactly 12 people in her entire practice who had this disorder and two of them were my children. Right. It's like it's rare even among rare. Like it's one of those things you nobody, no doctor we ever meet has ever heard of it until they meet my children. Um, and it's fine. They're fine. They're totally fine. They're amazing. Um, but, but what that, the life lesson I learned from that was whatever you are worried about is not the thing. Like, stop worrying. Just stop worrying. Like, and I'm not going to pretend that I don't ever worry about anything, but it really cured the like sort of mindless chatter of like, well, what about this? And what if that happens? And what if this happens? And what if that happens? It's like the thing that you think in your head is going to happen is never the thing that happens. It's the thing you weren't expecting. And, and that you didn't know to expect, right? That you didn't even know could happen is the thing that's going to happen. And, and, and you're going to be able to deal with it. It's going to be fine. It's not always going to be great. Some moments are going to be tough, but it's going to be okay. And you're going to figure it out. And so the, in the mindless worrying that you're doing doesn't help. <laughs> None of the worrying I was doing about my kids was at all helpful <laughs> in dealing with the actual things that were happening. So that's my life lesson. Well, thank you for sharing that. And like I said, I've already mentioned 
a number of ways in which people can get in touch with you. Um, I'm again, I'm just continually impressed by the work that you do. Um, the care that you provide your family, the, the fact that you write and share so much of this around all of it too. Hey, you know what? The imperfections too. I think that's incredibly yeah. important, right? I mean, you even said yeah. it yourself. I was, it was during a low when you were writing one of those articles and I get that part of it. And I love the fact that you're still sharing. So if people want to get in touch with you, Tammy, or, you know, if they want to yeah. like stay up to date of what they could learn, if they're an employer, if they're a manager, if somebody wants to go see the work that you're doing, where can they connect with you and yep. where can they follow you? So you can connect with Path Forward at pathforward.org. So that's all one word, .org. So pathforward.org. Um, and you can sign up for our newsletter. We have all the social channels there. If you want to send us an email, it's hello at pathforward.org. That goes to the entire staff. I see those too, so feel free. Um, I am Tammy M. Foreman pretty much everywhere. <laughs> that's my Twitter handle. It's my LinkedIn. It's like that's kind of my social handle everywhere that I am social which I'm not very, but I try to pretend. Um, so feel free to connect with me. But um, but everything's at pathboard.org and we would love to meet with you and talk to you and tell you more about the work we do. So feel free to reach out. Oh, thanks, Tammy. I know that you have a number of things that you can be working on and time that you could be spending somewhere else. And I just appreciate you giving me the time on the podcast to share your story with others. Absolutely. Marnie, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. 